once again, and uh, we are going to talk a little bit about that wonderful story of the prodigal son. It is probably one of those stories that you learned early on if you grew up in the church. Maybe you remember the flannel gram, little characters of felt, Sunday school teacher moved around for you, told you that story for the first time. But it is uh, rightly one of the most uh, told stories that we have. You could pack all of Paul's eloquent, beautiful intellectual arguments from Romans and the rest of his letters and put them all into that one story and you would still be able to capture the greatness and the goodness of the gospel within that, that one story that Jesus tells. And just as a reminder, um, we are continuing on and listening on to a dinner conversation that Jesus is having with the teachers of the law, the Pharisees. And last week we, we talked a little bit about how Jesus said to them, y'all are in uh, more trouble than you realize. You know, he spoke to the religious leaders and he said, you're in the most danger probably because people think you're living a good life. They look at you as somebody that's important and an uh, important part of the society. And, uh, but inwardly, you're far from God. And they're going to cheer you on. They're going to celebrate you. They're going to acknowledge you. And yet, you know the truth. You know how far your heart is from God. And so he speaks to them and he says, woe to you. He warns them and he talks about how they need to get things right with God. And we're going to continue on with that uh, conversation that he has over a meal uh, with the teachers of the law and uh, talk about that story of the prodigal son. And um, I know that we did a fantastic job of acting it out for you, but uh, I want to go ahead and read it for you. Yeah, I know. Keep your day job, Rick. Oh, whatever that is. Um, we are in the 15th chapter of Luke, and in the 15th chapter of Luke, you've got some beautiful stories about a uh, lost sheep, a lost coin, about, um, and then you get to the part about the, the prodigal son. And Jesus says this story. He says, a certain man had two sons. The younger son said to his father, father, give me my share of the inheritance. Then the father divided his estate between them. Soon afterward, the younger son gathered everything together and took a trip to a land far away. There he wasted his wealth through extravagant living. When he used up his resources, a severe food shortage arose in that country and began to be in need. He hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. He longed to eat his fill from what the pigs ate, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired hands have more than enough food, but I am starving to death. I will get up and go to my father and say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I no longer desire to be called your son. Take me on as one of your hired hands. So he got up and went to his father. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was moved with compassion. His father ran to him, hugged him, and kissed him. Then his son said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and earth. I no longer deserve to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quickly bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Fetch the fatted calf and slaughter it. We must celebrate with feasting because his son of mine was dead and was come back to life. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. It's such a beautiful story because it's the prodigal son. And maybe it's a better way to say it. It's a story of the crazy father. Because when you read the story, it's really just crazy. You begin with the fact that it's the younger son that comes to his father and says, hey, give me my part of the inheritance. 
in that day and age, if you were the younger son, you didn't have an inheritance. You got to live on the land, you got to partake in what the family had, but it wasn't yours. Everything that was there was going to be the possession of the older son. And so not only is the younger son asking for an inheritance that's not his, but he's basically telling his dad, I wish you were dead, right? He's saying, I wish you were dead so that I could have what you have. I could have your possessions. And so he takes everything the father gives him, uh, which wasn't rightfully his. He takes it and he goes and he wastes it on extravagant living. And um, he wakes up one day, you know, he has that moment of clarity and he begins to think to himself, I have nothing. These people won't even give me free food. And I could go back and be a servant in my father's household and have a far better deal than this. And so he begins to rehearse his speech. You know, I'll tell dad I really messed up and I just want to be a servant. And then the most, some of the most beautiful words that were ever written in the Bible. You know, we have the father saying, while he was a long way off. He doesn't even get to hear the apology or the speech the son has prepared. He's just excited. He's excited because his son has come home. He gets to see him. He gets to invite him back into fellowship. And one of the translations that I love of that story is it says he welcomes him in. And it says, and the father just could not stop kissing him. He's so overwhelmed, so overjoyed, so thankful that his son is back that he gives him a robe and he gives him a ring. And then my favorite part of the whole story, he gives him the fatted calf. And I love it because it means barbecue, right? I mean, it means the father has thrown out the fatted calf. And you think about how tasty and tender and fatty that meat would be. Just imagine the brisket. Yes, it would be good. Um, and that he throws this humongous celebration. And it's such a beautiful story because you and I, either we are people that have been far from God, that have made mistakes, or we know somebody that's in that place right now. And we rejoice in the fact that God welcomes us home or that God will welcome those people in our lives that are struggling, that are hurting, that are far from God. And he doesn't even require that we make that apology speech or reason with him or bargain with him or earn it or anything like that. He just says, come home. You're welcome back because the father loves him so dearly. And it's a beautiful story. And, and maybe it's something that you needed to hear today because you know where you are in your life. You're far from God. Uh, maybe you have used the gifts and the gra graces that God has given you all your life, and you've used them for your own selfish purposes. You've never thought about what God might want from them. And, and now you're hearing the fact that, that God loves you more than what you can do or what you have. And it's a powerful story. But during the season of Lent, we're trying to not only reach out and share that good news with those that are clearly lost, but we're also lifting up the fact that there are people within our churches that are well-respected in society, that are upright, and yet their hearts are far from God. And like Paul Harvey says, we got the rest of the story as we read on in Luke. So this is the part about the older brother. It says, now his older son was in the field. Coming in from the field, he approached the house and heard music and dancing. He called one of the servants and asked what was going on. The servant replied, your brother has arrived and your father has slaughtered the fatted calf because he received his son back safe and sound. Then the older son was furious and didn't want to enter in, but his father came out and begged him. He answered his father, look, I've served you all these years and I never disobeyed your instruction. Yet you've never given me as much 
as a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours returned after gobbling up our estate on prostitutes, you slaughtered the fatted calf for him. Then his father said, son, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because his brother of yours was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Now why this part matters so much is that you got to remember who Jesus is talking to. He's not talking to the prodigal sons. He's not talking to the lost sons. There at that meal, you have people who were thinking of themselves as those who are in the know, those who know how to do the right thing, those that have information about God's law, who had carefully done everything they possibly could to follow it. And um, that's who Jesus is speaking to. And so when he begins to tell the second part of the story, it's for them. He set them up so very well with this wonderful good news of the younger son, and now he begins to address their hearts and speak to them about their situation. And he does so by talking about this older son. Now, if you are an older brother or brothers, then this story probably has always irritated you. I know my dad, he's an older brother of brothers, and every time I bring this story up, he kind of goes, I just can't believe that dad, right? And, um, and what's so good about the story is that it tells it in a way that you and I understand it clearly. We, we know where the older son is coming from. His younger brother up and took probably half the estate, all the land that he was supposed to get, all the cattle, everything, he took it and he went and wasted it, right? And all along, the older brother has done the right thing. He has taken care of his father. He's taken care of the land. He's done what was required of him. He's done his duty. He's been responsible. He stayed in school. He made the good grades, however you want to look at it. He did everything right. Eagle Scout, first in his class, did everything right. And then, out of nowhere, his younger brother shows back up. And you've got to hear in the back of that guy's voice, you know, you've got to hear in the back of his mind, he's thinking, oh, he's back. He's going to want more. And sure enough, the father throws him a party. He celebrates. And when the older brother, who's probably been working out in the field, shows back up, there's music, there's celebration. And he's furious. He's angry. He's mad because he's afraid of what he might lose. He's terrified about what his father might give away. And if you want to look at it from a different perspective, just kind of um, take that first story about the younger son and just put somebody in there that you struggle to love. You know, maybe it is your younger brother or your younger sister. Maybe it's your worst enemy. Maybe it's that, that neighbor that keeps on playing their music loud or throwing trash in your yard, right? And that's the one that God welcomes and says, you're, you're invited, you're, you're welcome here. I mean, can you begin to get a sense of why that older brother was so angry and so disappointed? Sure you can. And... Um, when we look at this, it's important for us to see because Jesus is pointing out, he's saying, and that's, that's the heart of the problem. I mean, when you really look at this perspective, if the older brother is so mad because his father has killed the fatted calf and he didn't even get a goat, then what does the older brother have to do? Probably take about 10 steps, go to the party, pick up a plate of brisket, get some mashed potatoes, onions, pickles, white bread, right? And he can have his barbecue, and yet there's a span of way more than 10 steps between him doing that, right? 
And why this is so important is because when we look at the older brother, it is so easy for us to get into that trap. It's so easy for us to fall into. Now, there is somebody who I really love reading. His name is Tim Keller, and he, he did a wonderful job of telling this story. And one of the things he says is that, you know, we can all rejoice and celebrate with the younger brother being brought home. It's the older brother that we tend to have trouble seeing. And he lifts up three things that he said, you know, if these are true of your life, then you probably need to listen carefully to Jesus' story. He says, first and foremost, the older brother, there's always that underlying current of anger. They always have that underlying current of anger in their lives. That no matter how good they do or how much right they do, there's still in the background of their life a great deal of anger. Now for me, when I think about that, I think about the fact that usually anger comes out of a fear, a fear of losing something or not getting something. And for the older brother, it was just that. He had a fear that his father was about to give away even more of what he was supposed to get. And when you talk with people who are in that condition, when they're older brothers, when they feel like they've done the right thing, they deserve everything that's coming to them, if there's any chance that that is not going to happen, they become angry. They become fearful. They become very hard to deal with, right? So that's one of the characteristics. They have kind of an anger to them. The other is that, um, Tim Keller puts as well, he says they do things out of duty, but they have no beauty in their life. Lots of duty, lots of responsibility, but there's no beauty or wonder or joy to their lives. Now, I'll stop for just a moment. Let me pause here and say, I don't know where you are. If you're identifying with the younger child, the prodigal that went off and made a mess of their life, but they came back, then I'm glad you're here. If you're the older brother who's done everything right, who's tried their best to do everything, then I'm glad you're here. I don't know which those is. Those are for you. Don't leave here today thinking, I know exactly who he was talking about. You don't, right? I don't even know what that, that situation is in your life. But I do know this, that time and time again, when you talk with people in church, one of the things I've come across is that there are many who do the duties and the responsibilities of their faith, but there's no joy, there's no wonder, there's no beauty to it. And uh, the craziest part of it to me is that oftentimes you'll hear them recruiting other people, right? And they'll say, look, we've got a responsibility, we've got a job to do, we have a commitment that we have to keep, and we need you to be a part of it. It's not going to be any fun. <laughs> there's no joy to it. But it needs to be done. It needs to happen. And we're burnt out, we're tired, we're angry, we're frustrated, but we want you to be a part of that as well. <laughs> right? And... Um, and this is what you see in the, the, the mindset of the older brother. I mean, they've done everything right, and they've grounded out. They, they have grinded, and they have struggled, and they have strived. They've done everything possible, and yet their heart is far from God. And they have an emptiness to their life. But that doesn't stop us from trying to recruit others to that, right? And the final thing that uh, Keller lifted up, he said um, that they tend to get stuck in one social circle, one status, one class. Uh, that the older brother, because they've done things a certain way, they've achieved a certain level of success, they have an amount of wealth or whatever it is, they kind of get stuck with that one group of people that are like them, that have achieved the same kind of thing. They get real anxious if you ask them to spend time with somebody who's at a lower status or a lower level of life or lower education or especially with the poor. 
they become really anxious about that because they don't want to associate, you know, it might rub off on them, or whatever the case might be, you know. And um, like I said, I don't know where that is for you. Might be that you're somewhere in between those two, those two brothers. Um, but I do know this. What's beautiful about the story of the older brother is the same thing for the younger brother as well. Because in that chapter where he's talking about it, he says, uh, Then the older son was furious. He didn't want to enter in, but his father came out and begged him. Let me read that again for you. His father came out and begged him. Do you see the father's love for the older brother as well? He comes out and he begs him. He reasons with him. He speaks gently to his heart. He doesn't go to him and say, you're a horrible older brother. I can't believe what you're doing. I can't stand you. He says, he goes to him and he begs him. Same thing happens with the younger son too, right? He goes out while he's far away and he pleads with him. He longs for them. And both brothers have the same problem. They want what the father has, but they don't want the father. They both want what the father has, but they don't want the father. One of them goes about getting it by leaving and taking what he can. The older brother tries to get what the father has by staying and being responsible and doing the right thing. And God speaks to both those brothers and says, more than what I have, I want you to have me. I want you to have fellowship with me. I want you to be near me and to know me, and that's what's best for you. You may think it all comes down to land or status or property or, or whatever the case might be, but at the end of the day, our Father in heaven wants us to have him. Now, one of the, the best questions we can ask of this story is because it's right there in Luke chapter 15 is the question of why didn't the older brother go looking for his younger one? I mean, all through Luke chapter 15, the lost things are found. The lost sheep leaves the 99 to go find them. And at the end of it, the older brother, he doesn't go looking for his younger brother. And what's so important for me and what I think is so profound is that he's not the older brother we needed. The older brother we needed is Jesus. Jesus, who had complete fellowship with God, had all the status, power, wealth you can imagine, and he leaves heaven and comes into our earth, humbles himself upon the cross to seek and to save and to look for people like you and I, people who are lost, far from God, outside the church, and for those of us that are within the church that are lost as well. He comes to us. He pleads with us. He knocks upon the door of our heart and begs us to come and be a part of the fellowship that God is offering into our lives. So I hope and pray this day that you'll continue to wrestle with this, struggle with this, and to see your father who loves both the younger brother and the older brother and desires nothing more than fellowship with you and I. Let us pray. Almighty and gracious God, we thank you for the unconditional love that you show to each of us. 
that no matter how far away we might be from you, you long to be close to us and to know us and to have us know you. We thank you, Lord, that you are even willing to speak into our lives when we think that we have it all together or that we're doing everything right, and yet inside we're far from you and our hearts are, are dry and empty. We thank you that you come to us now and that you speak into our hearts and our lives and offer us your grace and your mercy in such a beautiful and wonderful way. Be with us as we leave this day and help us to serve you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.